Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 says this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to you this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, I actually believe gives us a beautiful framework for marriage. It talks about how we use our mind, how we use our eyes, how we use our mouth, how we, how we and what we feel in our heart. And I think as we read this scripture, not only is this uh, important for each of us as individuals and doing life in community and church and, and doing our faith, but more importantly, I think this is a beautiful framework for, for marriage. So tonight, as, uh, as we close out this series, Social Space, we want to speak to you from the subject, how do we do this? How do we do this as we look at how to build, foster, and maintain healthy marriages? And so we're going to talk a little bit about our story, and then we're going to kind of um, uh, let you guys know some things uh, before we get into the brunt of it. So why don't you tell our story? Okay. Or some of it. How much do you want to know? <laughs> um, so Jason and I have known each other since we were in fifth grade. And we went out in fifth grade. You know how you check a yes or no box if you want to date? I think that's kind of how it went. <laughs> I don't even know if we ever officially broke up after that. So we've really been together forever because... Although we did break up about 18 times while we were in high school and got back together and broke up and got back together. I don't recommend this pattern to anyone. I don't recommend starting relationships when you're in high school, just so all you high schoolers know. Or fifth grade, because it's actually weird. Or so. fifth grade. Same. But that's our story, is we have a lot of history together. Um, so we dated all through high school. We tried to date in college, but this guy was just too cute at college and got too much attention, so we didn't make it. <laughs> Oh, no, I was too cute. Sorry, just kidding. No, no, no. But we, we didn't make it through college, but we tried. And um, back then, we didn't have FaceTime, and we couldn't Skype each other. We actually had to, like, get a phone card, you know, those phone cards. He, he was in Australia, so a phone card, and he would call me at 2 a.m., and I'd stay awake waiting to talk to him and hear his voice, and that just didn't last very long because I like my sleep. So <laughs> we tried that out. Um, but then after he got back from college, we just knew that we were supposed to be together. And at that point, it was like, we're only going to date if we're getting married. So we dated and, and got married, and here we are. Here we are. 13 years later? 13 in January. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. that's our story in a nutshell. It was very messy and very messy. Yeah, so we've known each other for 20 plus awesome. years. Been married 13, three kiddos, multiple moves, starting ministries, planning a church together. So we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of each other, and we've been through, we've been through some stuff, and uh, while we haven't been married forever, I think that we've got some principles that we've, that we've put in place in our life, and that's really what we want to talk about tonight, um, is just some of the principles that we've put in our life that I think have um, kept our marriage fun, it's kept it healthy, um, it's kept it sexy, it's kept it uh, exciting, um, and it's kept it centered on Jesus. Come on, yeah. somebody. And, uh, and so uh, I think uh, there's an important thing in that. So we want to we say some things, though, before that we That point's dig not in, in here. We should just preface with centered on Jesus. Yes, that is. So we didn't even include that. I know. It's really value. That's really all what it's all about. Yeah. First. So you can dismiss now, actually. First. So just centered on Jesus. Go love Jesus. But uh, so here's the first thing. Uh, this message is for everyone. 
okay? If you are single, it's for you. If you are married, it's for you. If you are divorced, it's for you. If your marriage is struggling right now, it's for you. If you are in the prime time moment of your marriage, it's for you. If you are engaged and getting ready to be married, it's for you. If you're a teen, a young adult, a young professional, I don't care who you are or older than the sun, this message is for, for you, okay? So that's, that's the, first, the first thing that I want you to hear tonight. Second one. Um, if you're single, this message is um, not to make you think that marriage is the pinnacle of your faith. So often in church, it feels like this push to like get married, and that is not at all our hope or goal for you. Yeah. Often I feel like God is, um, we miss our, the amazing things God wants to do in and through us as single people yeah. because we're so focused on getting married. And so this message is to help prepare you for that day, but own where you're at right now because yeah. this moment you won't get back once you're married. So enjoy it and see what God wants to do in and through you as a single person. But just Take these principles, apply them to the relationships you're in when you're dating and all those things, and that'll be fantastic. That's awesome. And the third thing is this. We're not professionals. Hate to tell you. We are a couple who loves each other deeply, has gone through many moments in our marriage that have tested these principles, and even more so caused us to be deeply committed to the exercising of these principles. But we are your pastors, and we love you fiercely, and we want to give you everything that we can possibly give you in order to have healthy uh, healthy experiences in marriage. So this is our goal tonight, all right? And we're treating this a little bit differently than a normal message, but this is our goal tonight. We can't fix all the problems that may exist currently in your marriage. We can't foolproof you from experiencing problems and frustrating moments in your marriage either. Our goal tonight is to relay a few things that have helped us along the way as we have navigated pain, frustration, weariness, change, children, aging, ministry, work, and a myriad of other things that have the tendency, come on somebody, to chip away at our marriages, right? right? Let's just put it this way, and if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Life has a tendency to damage our marriages, mm -hmm. right? And so what we're trying to do tonight is give some principles that hopefully help you through this portion of your life as you do life, all right? And so that's what we're going to be doing that. So with that, we're going to hop right into this, get some details down, and, and go for it. So we're going to look at five things, just five things that we've learned how to do in our marriage that we hope helps, helps you. So this is the first one. Okay, the first one. You guys ready? Number one, we have to learn to manage our expectations. I really wanted to say we have to, like, not have expectations, um, but... It really is about managing expectations because we don't want to give the false impression that you can't have expectations in your marriage, right? Because we're going to have those things. Yep. Um, this is kind of the very first thing. If you walk into premarital counseling with any of us, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you and he's going to tell you, lay down your expectations, okay? Because so many of those come from your background. They come from where you've seen um, your family come from. And how many of us have dysfunctional families and have seen some dysfunctional marriages, right? So when we carry those things into our marriage, it automatically can set us up for failure. It can automatically set us up for disappointment. And um, I remember when we were young, we waited to have sex. In case you're wondering what we waited for, we waited to have sex. Um, I, that's not a very common thing at this point in, in the world, but we did wait, and it was hard. great, fantastic. It was hard. <laughs> it, was, it was very hard. Yeah, we won't get too much into that. Um, <laughs> But we waited, <laughs> and um, it was, I'm not blushing, you know me, I, I was about to say more, but I'm not going to, I'm trying to hold back, and stay to the point, right, I'm trying, but you're interrupting, <laughs> okay, we're just, we work it out in public, people, so just join in on the fun, um, we did wait, 
But this was the comment that so many people said, oh, you guys are going to be like rabbits when you get married because you waited. You're going to be having sex all the time. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, because I, I was cool with that. But, <laughs> but the reality, we don't, what? <laughs> so the reality is that while I had had that expectation, he didn't necessarily have that expectation. And it was very different because what I was comfortable with, he wasn't comfortable with. Or what, like, I remember one time, like, there were several moments in that first year of marriage where I was like, he must not want me. Something's wrong with me. Because we weren't having sex every single night or multiple times in a day like I had been told. And it was just such a false expectation that had got laid before our marriage even started that literally we had a, a fantastic first year of marriage yeah. otherwise. Absolutely. But in a lot of ways, that first year, it really did some damage on me personally and emotionally because I was like, there must be something wrong. So when I say to not walk into your marriage with these expectations, it's serious because they can be laid out and put in front of you, and then they can do some real damage. And right. so I would cry myself to sleep certain nights because I thought something must be wrong with me because people had planted in my mind that this is what should be happening, and it wasn't happening. For most of us, our expectations are built from external things, right? So we take all kinds of different external realities that we see, whether it's through media or TV or experience from our families and everything like that. Like in our pre-marriage counseling, we work with this idea called family of origin, which is simply you come from, like the family that you come from, like your, your literal blood family, we bring in this baggage to our marriage. Well, my family's different than, than her family. And so, and some of the experiences she's had in life are different than experiences that, I, that I've had. And so with that, if we have these crazy expectations for each other, what ends up happening, if we're not careful, is they can be damaging because the expectations aren't built on you two. Right? And it's amazing how many couples end up finding themselves in a very dysfunctional place because they haven't created expectations built upon each other. They've, they've, in, like, they've imposed expectations upon the other one from the world. Right. right? This is actually why pornography is such a damaging issue in marriages. Because you're taking external things that really don't, at the end of the day, they don't center themselves in reality and it becomes an internal expectation. Right? And so what we can easily do so many times if we're not careful is we can take these external things that come from our life, our background, our dysfunction, and our brokenness, and everything like that, and we can say, hey, this is the expectation for my marriage. It's going to look like this, be like this, and, and, and so on and so forth. And that actually becomes more damaging and instead of doing what we're supposed to do as couples and sit down and go, let's talk about our expectations, which is what we want to talk about. So when creating healthy expectations. Well, I wanted to add, too, the other way that sometimes our roles are developed outside of the our relationship as well, right? So, like, as a man, he's supposed to be the sole provider. He's supposed to pay all the bills. He's supposed to do all these things. As a woman, I'm supposed to have babies and be in a kitchen barefoot and making dinner. That would not work in our home. We would eat burnt chicken every other night. <laughs> now, I really do think I could cook, but I just don't, I don't have to cook. Because he is good at cooking. And on the other side, if he had to pay the bills, we might have some creditors at our door going, hello, you forgot about us, because that's just not his gift. Math is not his gift. His beautiful face and his mouth is his gift. <laughs> so, so 
those are the other those are other expectations that we carry in from the outside like why aren't you doing this this is your job when that's not the reality and and oftentimes that has to be communicated in our homes because otherwise we come up to bitterness we come up to frustration like immediately upon walking into a marriage because it's already not meeting your needs so it's that it's what's what comes out when we say this i just expected Dot, 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 you fill in the blanks. Have you, you ever been there before? I just expected this. I just expected that. And when you say, I just expected dot, 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 you've already set yourself up to realize that it's probably a broken thing in the relationship because that's not how we're actually supposed to operate. So what we need to do is we need to look at creating healthy expectations. So in order to do that, here's a couple things. First, we must clearly express expectations. We must clearly express them. All right? Couples, write that down. We must clearly <laughs> express our expectations. And Erica and I have spent 13 years learning how to clearly express those expectations. We talk through it, and it's going to lead us to, to some other points later. But learning how to say, this is my expectation. This is what I expect of you. This is what I expect of you. And learning how to clearly do that. And it's amazing how many couples don't practice that and actually don't sit down and literally have a meeting. Right. We need to have a family meeting. Because we need to talk about some expectations. And we think that these things happen like that. Right? We think that they just naturally come out. Yeah, because that's the naivety in our relational world. Right? We think that it's just going to happen. We literally, if you were to be a fly on the wall in our house, we sit down and talk about these things. At our table, like we're having a meeting together. And I know it sounds so stationary and, and kind of like, uh, and just like, uh, sterile, but the reality is it's when we actually get to say, this is my expectation of you, this is your expectation of me, we have clarity on our expectation, and when we do that, it's amazing what we don't have to fight about. Right. Right? So the first thing is we need to clearly express our expectations to each other, which leads to the second one. Yes, then you need to develop realistic expectations. Come How on, many somebody. of you know that some of your expectations might be a little unrealistic? I realized this the other day when I like the trash was overflowing and I thought for sure he's going to take that out. You got to see that. Like he's going to take that out. Right. <laughs> and he saw it too, but it wasn't as urgent for him to take care of. So I walked out of the room and I was like, gosh, why is this not taken out? And he was on doing something else. And my expectation was very high and I just had to be, let it come down a little bit and realize that it wasn't necessarily worth the fight and it wasn't in it and really didn't lead to a good place because it nope. we really fought that one out and it was like okay what was the point the point of our expectation this is my expectation this is what I think you should see because I see it so again it's like was well, that is that way. realistic to expect that because I see an overflowing trash can and would immediately take it out if it was my job that you would do the same and no it's not necessarily a realistic expectation so it wasn't a bad thing no. but it had to be discussed you know because erica sees things one way because of her personality and i see things another way so she sees things in our house at a very like at, at a very linear level well jason runs around our house with his heads in the well, like his heads multiple heads that's how i feel sometimes <laughs> with my head in the clouds, right? And so because of that, her expectation in knowing my personality, knowing how I operate, and what happened that day is that she, because of an expectation that wasn't clearly defined, even 13 years into our marriage, it sent us into a place where she believed, because I didn't see what she saw, that I didn't care. Right. Right? So the issue wasn't that I didn't take out the trash, the issue was that I didn't care. Right. 
about her expectation, and that sent us into a really bad place. So we had to dial back, we had to come back. I know it sounds stupid, it's just the trash can. We'll talk about that. It's in not stupid. Yeah, it's, it's not stupid. We'll talk about that. It's a make or break sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> not for me, I'm just saying. <laughs> right. I hear this rumor. So the second thing is we need to develop realistic expectations. And then the last one that we, that we kind of look at and work with in our family in creating healthy expectations is we need to negotiate the expectations. Okay? So they're not always blanket statements. They're not always like she sits down and she says, Jason, this is the expectation. Right? And I don't sit down and say, Erica, this is the expectation. We actually get to negotiate those, those expectations. And I think that for, for married couples, this is a big one. Because it's amazing how many times both of us try to live up to unreal expectations mm -hmm. instead of negotiating expectations that actually can work in our lives. And how many of us know that we get those expectations placed on us everywhere in the world? So when you walk into your home, it's the last place you want to feel like you have to live up to someone's expectations. So I think that's super important. Right. And so we negotiate those things. We talk those things out. We work, we work through those things. And then, too, like, sometimes you've just got to buck up, buttercup, and, like, deal with some of the expectations, right? Like, the expectation is, like, I change diapers, too. And I do, right? And, and now I love it, kind of. It's, I mean, that's a weird way to say it. I don't love it, but, but, it's, but it's an enjoyable part you of it. You love knowing that I appreciate that you do it. Right, right, right. That's point number one. Let's move on to point okay. number two, because <laughs> we have five. <laughs> That's Just true. saying. <laughs> All right, every shot number two for us. Number two. Right. Here's, here's uh, such an important one. We have to realize the little things are actually the big things. Yeah. Yeah. We often, yes, it is. We often jokingly hear people say, oh, we got divorced over picking up the milk, right? Have you ever heard those things where you, like, are like, really? That's what your fight was about, or that's what you're get splitting up about and the reality is it's all the little things that add up to the big thing right so it's so important to steward our little things and in the bible we see this principle that's kind of transferable everywhere and here in matthew 25 21 it says his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master and i look at this verse and i think it's Everywhere in our lives, we're to be stewards. We're to be good stewards. And so when we're good stewards over a little, God gives us much. So when we're good stewards over the little things in our marriage, our marriage will be blessed. Our marriage will continue to grow. Our marriage will become good, right? We won't struggle through those big things because we're good stewards of the little things. Um, so the point here is, too, like if you're, if you're only good with some of the little things, you can... That will build up your marriage, right? Being good with the little things can build up your marriage. Or not being good with the little things will tear down your marriage, right? So I think about, um, where did you put my point, that point? I don't know. Okay. So let's talk about all the little things that could tear down your marriage. And I think so a lot, yeah. Little things that could tear down your marriage yes, are like how you speak to each other, yep. right? Absolutely. So if I send over some snide remarks every so often, those are little things that... that seem little to you, but the reality is they're truth to you, and so they're tearing down your spouse, right? So that's what I mean by the little things can, that we just throw out there, like these little nasty things that we don't do or we choose not to do, or maybe like the trash, for example. It's such a silly thing, but if you continually ignore that, that's a little thing that shows me I don't feel like you value what I value. I don't feel like you care about what I care about, but the also little things that you can do is the encouraging one another. Right. How many of you know that we're not 
very good as a people in encouraging each other. I feel like I struggle with that, just saying something nice to you. And it's not because I don't think nice things about you. It's just like the actual practice of speaking it is really hard for me. It's not natural to me to do that. I could do it to everyone else all day long. But in our marriage, like the enemy's right there to try to steal those moments away. So you want to add to that? Oh, there it is. Thank you. I think I got it. Right. <laughs> but Sarca- yeah, sarcasm, and this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up in this. What's point. wrong with sarcasm? Are you about to lay this out right here in front yeah, of everyone? Exactly. Just kidding. <laughs> sarcasm can be a little thing. Have you ever noticed sarcasm actually contains great amounts of truth, right? And so it's amazing how many couples I'll, I'll, I'll sit with, and there's great degrees of sarcasm. That really, sarcasm, so many times is just a a, it's just a cloak of passive aggressiveness is really at the end of the day what sarcasm can be in so many ways instead of clearly defining for each other. So it's the tiny, it's the tiny little things. It's the tiny moments of encouraging. It's the tiny moments of saying, man, you look, you look great today. It's the tiny moments of building each other up. Why? Because our marriage, listen, well, listen when I say this, our marriage is a talent to be steward. Right. right? And God has given us this talent, this thing that we're called to do so well with and if we, if we think that life and our marriages are just built around the big things, big moments, big hurts, so on and so forth, I've actually come to find that the big things will not destroy you if the little things have been done. Right. The big things will not destroy you if the little things Well, because I can done. trust that you care about the little things. Right. So knowing that, I can trust that the big thing wasn't intentional. Right. I'll a say lot of this times. Is, this is a really personal one for us. Um, at the beginning, or not the beginning of our marriage, but when we started, uh, started going for, for kids, um, that whole process, uh, she got pregnant the first time, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of what that's called. Um, I know what it's called, Sex. we'll talk about it later. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Um, which was a really rough moment. And, and I'll tell you, in, in almost 15 years of ministry now, we've watched many, many couples who end up having the hardest time with each other. And so many times those couples w- will actually see them, will see them split from each other because the miscarriage hurt them so bad. But what I started to realize is that it's actually not the miscarriage or the, the, the great trauma. It's all the little things adding up to that trauma. And because those little things weren't there, the big trauma destroyed them. Right? Right? And so when we walked through this together, man, it was so hard. It was hard to see my wife in that position. I didn't understand the way that she was feeling. I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't get certain things. I was, I was angry and so on and so forth. But I wasn't feeling what she was feeling and sensing what she was sensing. And, in, and so many times in that moment, like in those moments, we had to walk through this thing that was pretty traumatic for us only being five years into our marriage at that point. And so when we got there, in hindsight, I look back and I go, man, that actually could have been a detrimental moment in our marriage had not the little things been something that we focused on for those five years. So we were able then to handle a big moment. And I'll tell you what, we've had big moment after big moment, like big hard moments, big traumatic moments in our life in 13 years of marriage. And one of the things that we've realized in our marriage is that the little things are actually the big things. And when you get the little things down, the big things won't beat you. The big things won't beat you. And so we've got to learn how to steward these things very, very well. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, something I really felt like is very important to say. And I actually was sharing this with someone the other day, and they actually didn't even know that this was in the Bible. So hopefully um, this will help 
some of you guys. But at the same time, I don't want it to like make you uncomfortable in your relationship. So know that what we're kind of about to talk about depends on where you're at in your relationship. If trust has already been broken, if there's already a lot of hurt, it may take time for these things to come back to a norm. But um, I've really been thinking a lot about how important it is to stay intimate in your marriage. And we're going to talk about intimacy being all sorts of different things in a few minutes. But it, in this case, I mean sexually active in your marriage together to each other only. Just each other. <laughs> Just want to clarify. Um, but, you know, the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians um, 7, 2, it says that because of temptation to sexual immorality, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. It goes on to verse 5 to say, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then... Come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And here's the thing. We often think that sex is just this little thing that, yeah, it's okay. It's been a while, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know, like not a big deal or I just am not comfortable. You know, maybe you haven't communicated through that. Maybe you're not comfortable being intimate. That That's a whole nother um, point. But the fact is that it, it needs to be an active part of your marriage. So many of us are uncomfortable talking about that, but that's the truth. Because the enemy will seriously sneak in and try to take that part away. It, and that's how he gets in, right? So we look at pornography. We look at these things. We look at people having affairs and whatnot. And a lot of times it's because our marriages aren't healthy in this way. And I'm not saying, please do not hear that if your marriage is failing and you've been active, well, why is my marriage failing? There's still two people that can make decisions and be wrong, Okay. And, but the reality is that this is something that is in the Bible that says because of the temptation to sexual immorality, because of the temptation to lust after someone else, because of that, we are only to have one man, one woman. We are to be married to that person, and we are to stay intimate with them in that way. And what the Bible and what we're trying to kind of bring around right here is this, is that sex is actually one of the little things. That's right. Our culture's made it the most gigantic thing. Come on, somebody. But actually, biblically speaking, it's one of the little things that we're saying, don't remove this part of your relationship. We've got to figure out how, how to do this. Why? Because this expression of our marriage is actually a spiritual battleground. And can I just add, because this is super sensitive, I think, for a lot of people, for sure. that it may be a big thing in your marriage because it was a big thing in your past. Mm -hmm. Like something terrible happened in your past in this area. So for you, it may be a big thing. We're not belittling obviously, minimize minimizing your past or anything like that. But I know people who have, let's say, like been molested who cannot like be intimate. And I get that. But that's part of all the, that is part of the beauty of relationship is that God can redeem those things. That when we communicate that and when we communicate like our hurts and our pains and how uncomfortable something is because of something that's happened in the past, like, we can have an, a wonderful relationship in that area because he's mindful of my hurts or I'm mindful of his hurts or whatever it is, and we can have relationship because of our communication in that area. So it's so important to, like, realize that we're not at all diminishing any of that, but the reality is that if that's still a hiccup for you, then you need, you need to go to God with that, and he needs to redeem that in your marriage. And Erica can speak clearly to that, and if, if this is an issue in your life, I would, I would encourage you to, to make some time with her to talk about some of the things that have been in her past, 
um, and, and stuff that we've had to work through on, on that side of things. But listen, here, here's the point. As a pastor, um, as your guys' pastor, uh, trying to steward this church well, we can't be afraid to tackle these subjects, right? Because this is the stuff that holds us in bondage, right? And so that's why I do want to encourage you. Listen to the message from this morning about identity, because our identity informs everything, right? And so when we're dealing with this stuff, we have to remember the Bible's actually saying that that part of our marriage is actually a little thing. It's a little thing in the context of Scripture, but it's become a big thing because for many of us, it's such a broken part of our life. And we have broken views on it, and we see it in broken ways. And so we want to encourage you. The second thing to, to creating healthy marriages is realizing the little things are actually the big things. Come on. Get good at the little things. Don't get quiet on me tonight. Get good at the little things, and the big things won't, won't destroy you. Number three, every shot. Number three? All right, number three. Intimacy is more than what happens under the sheets. Yeah, exactly. Intimacy is more than what happens under the sheets. Unfortunately, especially for couples, we arrive to the place where we think that the greatest degree of intimacy is physical in nature. And that's actually not the truth. Intimacy is this idea. Into me, see. Into me, see. In other words, do you give your spouse the ability to see into you? It's an interesting proposition that we can be more comfortable with one seeing us naked before we're more comfortable with them seeing us vulnerable. Did you hear that tonight? It's an interesting proposition to me where we can be more comfortable with somebody seeing us naked than we can be more comfortable with somebody seeing us vulnerable. And sex becomes greater than one could ever expect when intimacy is the leading edge of it. And so we've got to understand that intimacy, physical intimacy, is not the pinnacle of our relationship. Intimacy is experienced in all kinds of different ways. It's experienced when we can say everything to each other and at the same moment say nothing at all. Right, right. right? Real intimacy is the collective force of everything that we're going to be talking about tonight and everything that we are talking about tonight. And I think this is what happens in Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40. It gives us the model for intimacy. Watch this. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, as lawyers always do. And it said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Okay? I saw something in this that I've actually never seen before, and it kind of rocked me when it came to talking about intimacy. And then this is what he says. That's the great and first commandment, verse 39. And a second is like it. Is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Well, how are you supposed to love yourself, right? Not selfish love, not um, egocentristic love, not narcissistic love, but you're supposed to love others the way that we love God and the way that we've been told to love ourselves, and that is with our heart, our soul, and our mind. So this piece of scripture is actually, Erica is my neighbor, right? So I'm actually supposed to love her in this way, with my heart, my soul, and my mind. What does that mean? Well, the heart speaks to the, the emotionality of our marriages. I'm supposed to engage emotionally with her. I'm also supposed to, at a soul level, this speaks to the spiritual quotient and depth of our marriage. Do I spiritually have connection with her? Now, are her and I spiritual together, but is Jesus the center of our marriage? 
And then with all my mind, this speaks to the intellectual engagement that one has in their marriage. Do we talk? Do we sharpen each other? Does she challenge me with certain things? And so to love each other, intimacy is actually based on these things. Dudes, I need to talk with you tonight. Don't say that you can't do the emotional thing because it's not your personality. Stop it. Because you've been created to love this way. So when you're saying that I'm not emotional, it's not my personality, that's not true. It's actually your... Until you stub your toe and start swearing. Yeah, then you're like, pretty then emotional. Then you're pretty emotional. Right? <laughs> we know emotion. What we're simply saying is that I'm not, a, I'm not comfortable giving my heart. I'm not comfortable with be, being vulnerable. Man, there's been some moments in our marriage where we've had to be vulnerable with each other. Like, like soul-rocking, dangerously vulnerable with each other. But what happens at the end of the day is that we actually have a sharper relationship for it. I can go to her with things and say, this is my heart. This is what I'm struggling with. This is my insecurity. And for many of us, especially dudes, we think, oh, if I share that thing, then my wife is going to think I'm weak. She won't think you're weak. She will think that you are actually strong. See, when you pull the I'm hard thing, and I just burp and scratch, and that's what I do, that's not strong. That's actually perceived as weakness. When I pray, when I read my Bible, when I'm engaged in worship, she doesn't see me as weak. She actually sees me in my strongest place, which is on my knees as a broken man before God. And when I'm there, when I'm at my weakest, I'm actually at my strongest because he is now interfering in my life. And when she knows that he is interfering in my life, she can actually be a part of my life. Am I talking to anybody tonight? And so this is the model for intimacy, and so many people think that just, that sex is, is, is intimacy, it's the, it's the pinnacle, inti- no it's not. It, no it's not. It's better when you have all the, uh, all this Absolutely, yeah. 100%. It's overrated. So many ways. It's overrated. Those nights that we can talk with each other for hours, we had, I mean, we've had those multiple evenings, even just, like, just recently, where it doesn't lead to anything else, and we walk away having the most intimate expression of our marriage, because we just simply were able to talk with each other. She was able to be vulnerable with me, and I was able to be vulnerable with her, and we talk, and we cry, and we laugh, and we do all those things. That, my friends, is intimacy. If you want to build strong and lasting relationships, you want to build a strong and lasting marriage, we've got to learn that intimacy is into me. See. Can I speak to the men again and add on to that? Do you guys mind, boys, men? You know, I've been really thinking about how we're watching our generation kind of go. And I I know for women, we're rising up and we're trying to take our place and we're equal opportunity and all these things. And I, I think that's beautiful to an extent. But I think that there's a place that we've kind of run over men in some ways. Um, but at the same time that men have given us that place. Um, And here's why. Because if you're not willing to be intimate with God, first and foremost, you can't be a spiritual leader of your home. And so you're seeing a lot of women standing up and rising up and taking leadership in every area of our world, right? And then we have to kind of carry this mantle in our home and lead our family in this area. And what I'm seeing is this fatherless generation. And it's not that we're fatherless as in you're not a father to a child, but rather you're not a father in the sense of leading your home, in the sense of leading your family, in the sense of leading these moments where you need to be intimate, where you need to be real and say, this is the truth of where I'm at. Because let's be honest, we all struggle with things. Right. 
male or female, it doesn't matter. We all have our struggles. We all have our insecurities. And we all have those things that we aren't comfortable admitting, but they're there. And so I just see this generation of women who are trying to rise up for equal rights, and I don't believe that it's about that. I don't believe that we should be rising up and taking over everything and, you know, be the next greatest thing. I know we can do that. God's given us the gifts to do it, but he's placed an order in our families and in our homes and in our world for a reason. And that's not to say that you can't be a CEO, women, okay? It's not to say that you can't run your own business, nothing like that. But the reality is that spiritually, we're kind of demolishing and not helping encourage our men to rise up. But at the same time, our men aren't doing it when they're encouraged. So I don't want to, like, bring in this imbalance that it's our job to do that for them and get them there. It's not. But men, it's, it's your job to really seek God on behalf of your family. If he can have weak moments, because I know he's going to lead out of those weak moments, but if he stays in those weak moments and he never rises into that next season knowing that he has a God that's greater and knowing that, that God's leading him and knowing that he can trust on that alone, then I can't trust him in those weak moments, if that makes sense. So I just want to encourage you men, like, go to God. Let him create you to be that spiritual man and that spiritual person in your home that you're supposed to be. Because I'm so tired of seeing, I'm tired of seeing us women kind of just try to take over and we do that, we will do that. Like, it's just natural. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. Because, and I think it's just breaking down our world and how we're supposed to, like, coexist, if that makes sense. How we're supposed to coexist in marriage. The Bible does talk about him being the leader, right? He is my leader. He, I am submitted to him. We're still a team. That's not a scary thing for me to say. Because he doesn't also just abuse that, if that makes sense. But if he wasn't leading and he didn't follow God, I could not follow him, if that makes sense. So I just want to encourage you guys, can you just grab a hold of that? If it's you've been it's, it's struggling with that, grab a hold of it. It's the check and the Own balance. Own it. Own it. It's the check and the balance, right? She can't follow me. She can't, she can't trust me if she doesn't see me following Jesus. That's the check and the balance in all, all, in all that's happening there. And so... This is why intimacy is such an important thing, because that's where we actually build trust and legitimacy in our relationships, right. is when we learn how to be intimate with each other. Number four, everybody shout number four. four. Number four. You guys getting something out of this tonight? Yeah. All right, cool. Number four is this one. Don't ever stop talking. Don't ever stop talking, all right? And it's amazing how many couples we watch who just simply stop talking, and they just live together. They just live together. Don't stop talking. Talking. So here's a few things that communicating well requires. First, find a safe place to communicate. Find a safe place. If every single time you're in your house and you guys start to communicate and it turns into an argument, go to a coffee shop. Go to a restaurant. Go somewhere else where all of a sudden the communication has to change because I can guarantee you, you will not blow up at Applebee's. And if you do, you might need therapy. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and, and that's the point, is find a safe place to communicate, all right? The second one is this, listen and repeat, repeat and listen to their perspective. Repeat their perspective. If you don't get it right, listen again, repeat again. Don't add your own perspective or defense, just listen and repeat. It's amazing how many times we're just defensive off the bat. And the, the, the thing is, is we always, we just take what somebody says, each other says, or even in other relationships, and we just see all this underlying stuff. So it's like the other day, like I was legitimately saying something, and I was legitimately just saying that one thing, and 
all this other stuff came up over here. And I'm like, whoa, no, really. I'm really trying to just exactly communicate what I want to communicate because I don't want to go down that path. And the reality is that we're always, we're, we're not always, because that's probably one of the problems, right? Always and never exclude yeah. those from your dictionary. Yeah. Don't use always and never. Um, but we often are like seeing something completely different than what each other's saying. So that's why this point is so important. Right. Say what you feel. I repeat what you feel. If I didn't say it right, let me try this again. Say what I feel. I repeat. It's literally like the most basic communication, right. 101, from the bottom. And then you can build to those moments that are a little bit harder to work through because you can go, okay, right. you're not saying this. You're not saying all these things. You know, those things might be my insecurities or my fears or my struggles or maybe something you've said before. You know, don't care. Just from the top. Yep. Basic, simple, listen and repeat. Right. And determine, here's the, here's the last one of this, determine to be offensive for your marriage instead of def defensive for you. She wrote that. I didn't write that. Yeah, why did that, how come I didn't get started? I don't know. I'm just taking over right now. So <laughs> she wrote that, all right? And I think that's really good. Determine to be offensive for your marriage instead of defensive for you. We're fighting for the same thing right, here. Right. You want your marriage to be successful. Fight for that, not for your right to be right. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in this series, right? Everybody wants to be right. No one wants to be sorry. Right. Sorry is the most powerful statement that you can use in your marriage. I'm sorry. Yeah. Simple as that. I'm sorry. And these are some keys that we've learned. I, I mean, we could be here for hours, and we're not going to keep you for hours talking about all of these different things, right? But this is the reality. Don't ever stop talking. If you as a couple have stopped talking, you're in a dangerous place. Yeah. Right? And let me say this. This is probably one of my funnest things to say to couples as well. If you're not fighting, you're in a dangerous place. Seriously, couples that we never fight, I'm like, no. You're not talking. <laughs> then you're not talking, right? You're not talking. We fight all the time. Like, like full we fight all the time. Why? Because we're constantly challenging. We're constantly, she challenges me. And I say this, she's, why do you think that? And I'm like, I don't know. Why do I think that? I don't really say it that nicely no, either. Though, that nicely stop either, thinking that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so we challenge each other. We fight through things. Why? Because actually in fighting, iron sharpens iron. Clang, 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 bam, bam. And we get stronger for it. And so we wonder why we can make it through big moments. It's because we fought some things out. But does that mean that we were yelling at each other the whole time? No. no. It means we sat in a coffee shop or in a safe place. Because I was afraid And we listened and we repeated. <laughs> I, I do. It's real. <laughs> it's real. And so we've got, we've got to fight through things. It's okay. This is why the Bible says be angry, but do not sin in your anger. Right. Right? I can, I'm mad at you. I'm, you're mad at me. So we can fight through those things. And so we don't ever stop we talking. We are not pros. Again, yeah, back to not the not professionals, still working on that one. All right. Right? Is that good? Yeah. I, I want to ask if there's any questions, but we're not going to do we're that right now. In that yeah, we're not in that scene. Moment. All right? Number five, right? Shot number five. Last one. There is always necessary sacrifice. There is always necessary sacrifice. I love this. Luke 14, 28 through 33. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Mm. Right? Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he's not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? I love that picture. Jesus is talking about being a disciple here, but he's also dealing with the princ a principle of necessary sacrifice. 
Necessary sacrifice is what we do to take account when measuring what it's going to take to see our marriages become everything that God wants them to be. And it's amazing how many people, especially in this generation, think great marriages just happen. Come on. They don't just happen. Great businesses don't just happen. Great churches don't just happen. Great families don't just happen. Great parenting doesn't just happen. And I'll tell you what, great marriages don't just happen. You've got to fight for it. You've got to count the cost. And so necessary sacrifice is simply this. What is it going to take to get there? It's amazing how many couples I watch, how many people I watch who say I want to have a great marriage, but they're unwilling to sacrifice. Come on, somebody. So you married couples out there, you've got to measure, you've got to determine what necessary sacrifice is. What is it going to take to get there? Be like any of you who do business in here. You're talking with a young dude who's like, hey, man, I want to build a business. I want to go for it. And, and you say, okay, please give me, your, give me your game plan. Give me your business model. How are you going to do this? Okay. Um, no business model, no game plan. I don't want to spend any money to do it. I just want an awesome business. To which you go, come again? <laughs> how are you going to do, do this? Why? Because there's no concept of necessary sacrifice. And for a good marriage, for a healthy marriage, you've got to have a concept of, man, this is going to take, take some late nights. We've had those nights where we've had to talk till all hours in the morning when our voice is hoarse and, like, your eyes are bleeding. You ever been there before, <laughs> couples? And you're just still talking. Are we still talking? Are we still talking about this? Yes. Why? It's a necessary sacrifice. I just want to go to bed. I just want to go to bed. But sometimes going to bed is not the answer. Sometimes it's another hour, and the necessary sacrifice is you're on Red Bull and coffee the next day. Right? It's the necessary sacrifice. I mean, you fill in the blanks of what it is, but what is it going to take you to have a healthy and successful marriage? It's the necessary sacrifice. Anybody want to talk about necessary sacrifice? That's good.